This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Sam Dykstra. Jim Callis still on the all-time longest vacation in MLB Pipeline history. He did have a little break in between where he did a little work, but the guy's been gone forever. But that's good for us because that means more Sam Dykstra. <laughs> so one of these days I'm going to perfect my gym right there. impersonation and just act like him for oh, the man. and see how it goes. I, I both him and to, me. Look forward to that greatly. The season has just about come to its conclusion. We are uh, into the playoffs in the minor leagues. Single A playoffs completed double A finals. As we record, we are in the midst of the double A finals and triple A International League and Pacific Coast League. Those series are about to get underway and we'll wrap up with the AAA championship out in Las Vegas. We're going to talk about all of that a bit. And since last we spoke, we have received our Arizona Fall League rosters, which is something that we greatly anticipate every year around this time. You know, as always, they're loaded with top prospects. Maybe a, a little a little down this year in terms of number of, well, not, not maybe, they are down in terms of the number of top 100 prospects in baseball that will be out in the desert. But nonetheless, as is the case every year, it's absolutely packed with talent. And Sam and Jonathan will be headed out. Well, I was going to say we'll be headed out there soon. Jonathan is there now. I didn't it's even true. I didn't even notice you're uh, you're in the pipeline it's pad true. there. I would have asked you to give us a tour before we started here if I had remembered. We'll FaceTime later. You know, I'm hiding the address. We don't want all the <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's it. So. That's Thank you for protecting my identity, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. <laughs> There's a reason why all we right. only do audio uh, podcasts. Oh, and I, I forgot. I skipped anyway. Maybe the most important, exciting new item on our agenda today to discuss the award show on MLB Network. First ever year-end MILB award show It'll be on MLB Network on October 2nd, 8 p.m. Eastern. Last week, we talked about the three pitchers who are up for the Pitching Prospect of the Year Award, which is one of the major awards on the show. We're going to give you a little preview of a lot more. We'll do that right now. Eventually, we're going to wrap up with a question from the mailbag, but you already know that. So let's get into the award show a little bit here, guys. We've been teasing this a bit since we knew it was going to happen a few weeks ago. Last week, I had an article breaking down the three candidates for the Pitching Prospect of the Year Award, Kate Horton of the Cubs, Robbie Snelling of the Padres, and Drew Thorpe of the Yankees. So we won't go into any further detail on that one. But another one of the big awards that will be presented on the show is the Hitting Prospect of the Year. Those finalists are the Dodgers' Michael Bush, Junior Caminero of the Rays, and Jackson Holiday of the Orioles. Guys, this one is interesting. Two guys now that we've seen in the big leagues in Caminero, who was just recently promoted, and Bush, and then Jackson Holiday, who is kind of crazily at AAA at just 19 years old, started the season way down the ladder. Similarly, Caminero jumping up to the big leagues, but 
This this is an interesting one. I think you can certainly make a case for any of these guys, but two of the top six prospects in baseball in Jackson Holiday and Junior Camonero and going out there this season and proving why they are ranked that highly. Of course, Camonero wasn't ranked nearly that high, highly coming into the season, whereas Holiday was. I think one of the things that was the most exciting about even voting on this, we've given out this award for a while now, but trying to find the balance between sort of what we like to call prospecty goodness and performance. Sometimes it gets a little hard and there you know, guys who are like, well, boy, what a year, but they're not a huge prospect. They're not old for the level. But the thing that's exciting, especially, and I don't want to discount Michael Bush, who had a tremendous year, and as you said, has contributed to the, to the big league team. For me, I was really excited to see Holiday and Caminero on there because they check off literally every single box incredible performance ridiculous numbers promotions up levels super young for their levels what they accomplished this year at the age and amount of professional experience they had made this maybe as much fun yeah, to also consider at, as anyone that we've had you when you're talking about two different ends of the spectrum in terms of age how old bush is at triple a versus those two guys who were climbing in holiday's case four levels at, in his age 19 season and in camonero's case technically three levels but he skipped over triple a altogether this is purely a minor league award but you look at bush and camonero and those guys are slug first types i mean camonero hits the ball extremely hard and we've already seen that during his debut with Tampa Bay, you know, he'll, I don't want to say regularly get exit velos up to 110 plus miles an hour, but he does it often enough that it should really shock you for somebody his age. He just turned 20 in the second half of the season. Whereas Bush ranks second in all of the minors, at least among qualifiers with a 618 slugging percentage. His 1049 OPS was second in the minors. So if you're looking at just pure production, he was as good as anybody at slugging the ball this year. Camonero finished with 31 homers. He slugged 591. You want to talk about prospecting goodness up to number six on our rankings because of how young he was. And then Jackson Holiday, the reason why he climbed four levels was, you know, we talk about an advanced approach. That's something that comes up a lot. But when you've got a kid his age who had an OBP of at least 396 everywhere he played, and that includes AAA. I know the narrative at the start of his time with Norfolk was a slow start. It's fine. He's getting to his fourth level. There's going to be some fatigue. He's going to face some major league pitching or major league quality pitching. There's going to be a dip. He really rebounded to the point where he had a 109 WRC plus at AAA. And offense is up at AAA. So he was still above the level of AAA. How much do you incorporate that into this award of him just never staying at one place long enough to really put up eye-popping numbers outside the rate stats? But he was walking everywhere, was not expanding the zone, really, really mature player. Didn't necessarily have the slug of Camonero and Bush, but had everything else for sure. Jonathan, you mentioned that we've been doing this for a while. Do you know how long we've been naming a hitting and pitching prospect of the year? <laughs> Since the Truman administration? This will be This will be the 10th time that we've that we've done it. We, we didn't do it in 2020 because of COVID, but yeah, wow. started in 2013, our hitting and pitching prospect of the year in 2013, Byron Buxton and Jose Fernandez. This year's hitting prospect of the year will join the likes of Buxton, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, Alex Bregman, Ronald Acuna Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Luis Robert, Anthony Volpe, and Gunnar Henderson. Pretty solid list. It's a good list. Prospects of the year. All right, so Another category where we see, I think this may be the only category where we see a repeat name of a finalist. We just talked about Junior Caminero. Oh, no. Yeah, and there, there are two here. Breakout player of the year, our yep. three finalists are Junior Caminero, and then a couple pitchers in Cade Horton and Jacob Mizorowski. Horton, as previously mentioned, also up for the pitching prospect of the year. So we've kind of covered Caminero and then Horton last week. Jacob Mizorowski 
an interesting candidate here. He kind of burst onto the scene this year, probably, I would say, highlighted by his futures game near MVP effort, and then kind of settled back down a bit, and then season ended a little prematurely. So kind of an up and down season for him. But man, he really put his name on the radar this year. Somewhere across the ocean, Jim Callis is shouting that uh, he did not burst on the scene out of yeah, nowhere. Not, not out of nowhere, exactly. He's been a big Jacob Misrowski fan. I think, you know, listen, this is what he did as a second rounder out of junior college ranks. Probably should be the poster guy for the combine because he really showed out well there and it undoubtedly helped his draft stock. You know, the stuff has always been electric. It's not like he threw 120 innings or anything like that, but three levels. He's still really young. Missed bats everywhere. You know, the question is going to be his command, but just in terms of, I guess like we could back up for a second kind of define what we think or thought a breakout player is. Well, yeah, I mean, the the distinction really kind of needs to be made between this category and next one that we're going to talk about, which is best MILB debut. So, yeah, if you you guys want to uh, make that distinction. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the biggest differentiation, you know, is that some of these guys, you could be a breakout player and played last year. I mean, that's the very, like, very simple cutoff there. But I think that a guy like Misarowski fits because he was intriguing, but you didn't know what you were getting. And then between three levels, just being dominating and missing so many bats, you mentioned the Futures game appearance. I think that figures into it as well. These are all guys who were, you know, not unknown completely, but sort of ex- far exceeded what we thought we might yeah, see think, from them. And yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we write a lot in our prospect blurbs are if this happens, then he'll take a jump. And that always doesn't always happen, right? Like there's question marks with every prospect. That's why they're a prospect. So with Caminero, it was if if he takes what he was showing at the short season levels in the Ray system to a full season, he could really jump. That's exactly what happened. I mean, and he matured and he was hitting the ball a little extra harder. Cade Horton, it was if he can carry what he showed in the College World Series last year, then he'll be a top pitching prospect in baseball. We just hadn't seen it. This year we did. Jacob Mizorowski, if he can carry that special, you know, triple-digit fastball, plus-plus slider, really good cutter, really good curveball when it's on, if he can show that out from spring to fall, then we'll be talking about him as having maybe the best stuff in, in minor league baseball. That happened. Now, Mizorowski, we still have a little bit more questions. I think him getting shut down for arm fatigue doesn't help things. Yeah. Jonathan, as you mentioned, the command, we especially saw that jump uh, at double A, some of the concerns there. If he's not getting chased out of the zone, he's going to walk guy. But we're talking about Mizrowski now. It's no longer if this happens. We've seen it happen, and that's what makes a breakout to me. I think if he hadn't had the fatigue, we didn't want to mm, see him get yeah. called up by the Brewers to get a couple big league hitters out of the bullpen. And maybe maybe he ends up as a reliever. And to- like not a total aside, but I know we all enjoy watching the big league call-up announcement videos. Junior Caminero's has to be the best one. Just Maybe because it was double A and he, there was no expectation, the look of pure, unadulterated joy on his face when it sunk in after that first second – I could watch yeah, that. Yeah, it was in a genuine shock for, I think, multiple like, reasons. Montgomery just got eliminated from the playoffs. It's not exactly a happy time in that that clubhouse. And it, it being double A, him probably thinking, if I'm getting called up, I'm going to triple A to find out, no, you're skipping that one altogether and it's the big leagues. And it's just, it's so rare. It happens, but it's rare that somebody from double A gets to go straight to the bigs. So now all, he has all these teammates who get to celebrate somebody getting that ultimate dream it was it was perfect morgan was Enford, so the manager for the montgomery biscuits pulled it off incredibly well and you could tell how much those guys love playing with junior Caminero. simple so you love to see it 
All right, moving along to that next category that mentioned previously, best MILB debut. Our three finalists, and I lied before when I said breakout player had the only repeat finalist MILB debut does as well. Liar. A couple names previously mentioned in guys that are up for pitcher of the year this year, also up for top MILB debut in Robbie Snelling and Drew Thorpe. And the third finalist in this category is the 17-year-old Ethan Salas. Now, we have considerably different types of candidates here, older, somewhat older pitchers and then the youngster in Ethan Salas. This is a pretty interesting category, I think, because of the dichotomy between those players. But three really nice options here. Yeah. I wonder if if Robbie Snelling is is listening out there and thinks (laughs) we just called him old. Old man Snelling. Yeah, old man Snelling, who won't turn 20 until December. But yeah, I mean... That was like a Scooby-Doo villain, wasn't it? And he would have gotten away with it, too. Would have gotten away with it, too. for too long now. (laughs) But yeah, no, I think this category you can be a little bit more subjective with because it's not just who had the best numbers. It's who had the best debut. And how do you define what is a good debut? If you look at Ethan Solace, it's shocking the industry and, and opening at single A and then ending at double A. And... You know, those were decisions made by the Padres. I know a lot of people think they were a little too aggressive in sending him to San Antonio at the end of the year, and that's fine. But the fact of the matter is we still have a 17-year-old catcher doing some unprecedented things. And you can kind of put the numbers off to one side, and they they were really good. I mean, he was really good at Lake Elsinore. Dare to say he deserved the promotion that he got to high A Fort Wayne. But just the fact that he was able to work with a pitching staff as a 17-year-old catcher and still produce like he did offensively certainly stood out. Robbie Snelling, we've covered. Drew Thorpe, we've covered. Those guys were just as dominant as anybody in the minors in terms of pitching performance. And to do that without minor league experience at all, neither of those guys pitched last year. That's what makes this a debut with some really special stuff. And all three of those guys played their way onto the top 100. They weren't on the top 100 at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean, Salas obviously made a huge jump and the Padres are like dominating this category, I guess. So they're going to become the the team we have to watch that they uh, promote their young players super, super quickly. They're going to be the angels, but like the younger players and not up to the big leagues. But so we'll have to see if this is a trend that continues since this is new. This is a new a new award. So we'll see how it, how it plays out. But, you know, I think what was exciting about it is it wasn't just, oh, we got to move these guys up to make a splash or we have holes to fill. Yes, or Salas slowed down and a little dinged up and double A wasn't as exciting. But like you said, I agree with you. He deserved remarkably. So listen, if he had gotten promoted from low A to high A this year, he'd probably be a finalist for this. The fact that he went to low A as an international signee, you know, he skipped the DSL, he skipped the complex league, just went straight to full season ball, already put him on a, on the watch list for something like this, I would think. And then, then he just kept going. It was uh, so much fun to watch. All right. So In addition to those categories, we also have the Defensive Player of the Year. I can tell you that the finalists in that category are Pete Crow Armstrong, Sedan Rafaela, and Nassim Nunez. A couple of, well, I was going to say a couple of outfielders and an infielder, but really it's a a couple of outfielders and a couple of infielders because Rafaela is basically both and basically outstanding at both. Those are the three finalists for Defensive Player of the Year. Also have the Team of the Year. So there's the the minor league team of the year, which will be either Norfolk, Oklahoma City, or Cedar Rapids. Those are the three finalists. And then we'll also have our prospect team of the year, a first team and a second team. We've been putting that one out going on 10 years now. Some additional categories where winners will be awarded are the catch of the year, the defensive play of the year, 
on individual play. The single game performance of the year, we've got quite a few impressive performances there. A six for six game, three home runs, six RBIs, a six for six game with two home runs in a cycle and seven RBIs. Fernando Tatis Jr. on a rehab stint going five for six with three home runs and eight RBIs in a game. Those are the finalists there. Also going to take a look on the show at some of the most impressive and notable home runs of the year. And of course, there's the alternate identity of the year that is currently up for fan vote. And the winner will be announced on the show. And again, that is October 2nd, 8 p.m. Eastern on MLB Network. Can, can fans vote? We on uh, Sam's imitation of Jim for the alternate the identity. Time, but that is on. That's on the docket for next year. Absolutely. Darn yeah. it. Okay. Well, next 100% year. One hundred percent approval. That's what. That's what I'm assuming would have happened. Just one hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> let's uh, let's take a break and come back and talk Arizona Fall League. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Sam Dykstra. Broke down the MILB award show that's coming up on MLB Network on October 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern. Now we want to look at something else coming your way on October 2nd. That's the Arizona Fall League. Started in 1992. 30 plus years now of teams sending some of their best prospects out to Arizona for what they like to refer to as finishing school, upper level prospects, getting those finishing touches, prepare themselves for the big leagues. This is, as we talk about all the time, one of our favorite parts of the year. Jonathan is in Arizona now doing the first leg. He, Sam, and Jim, along with Jesse Borick from our team, Jesus Cano, will be out there covering games for us bringing you all kinds of fall league action we're gonna have dozens of games featured games streamed i I believe every game will be streamed again this year and then there will be a couple few dozen where there will be play-by-play broadcast as well so as soon as we get that schedule get that out to all of our listeners and everybody online so you'll know which games you can watch there Rosters came out last week. Always great anticipation. This year's batch of players headed out to the desert include 10 top 100 prospects, which mentioned uh, earlier on is down a little bit. I think you have to go back 2015 since we've had as few as 10 top 100 prospects. Last year, there were 16. Each of the previous two years, there were 16 top 100 prospects on rosters. 20 the year before, 18. Just to give you a little idea of the trajectory there. But I mean, This is the place to be to watch up-and-coming talent. It's a great opportunity out in Phoenix at the various ballparks out there to see these players up close and personal. Tickets, very easy to come by. Great seats. You're you're right up close and, and personal with these guys. Top 100 prospects there. Colson Montgomery, Carlson Williams, Ricky Tiedemann, Harry Ford, Jackson Joe, Kyle Mansardo, Jace Young, Kevin Alcantara, Chase DeLauter, and Kevin Parada, a pretty interesting group, if for no other reason, because there are a couple pitchers in there, which is something that we do not often see. So while we might be talking about the relative dearth of top 100 prospects there, this is exciting to see a couple of the 
top pitching prospects in baseball headed out to the AFL. Yeah, and that was maybe my biggest standout when the rosters came out. Uh, this is known as a hitters hitter-friendly league. I mean, usually you don't get many arms at the end of it or many notable arms um, because guys have used up their workload during the season. They're big-name prospects. It's because they performed in the summer. And you look at some of the names that are being included here, Ricky Tiedemann of the Blue Jays, Jackson Joe. Both of those guys battled injuries throughout the year. Tiedemann was limited by biceps issues. Jackson Job started out, out on the IL with a lumbar spine inflammation, which sounded like it was going to keep him out for a while, but he came on strong in the second half. I don't think he walked any batters in his final five starts of the season, which is just insane. So getting both of those guys who need to make up innings and have really special stuff in the fall league. Whenever they start, it's going to be much fall of stuff. And I don't think they're going to have necessarily the guardrails that some of these other pitchers do where it's you're here, but you're only going to be throwing two innings at a time. Because of the limits they had in the summer, I would think we could see these guys go four or five innings a pop as they're trying to make up for that time. So checking in on Ricky Tiedemann and his slider, which got whiffs in his final start at, at Buffalo, along with the changeup, which I think is his best pitch. He was throwing 95, 96. Jackson Job is always going to pop with really special spin rates, especially on that slider, but he's added a, a cutter, uh, which has given another tighter look. He's throwing the ball pretty well in terms of velo as well. So much, I feel like, when we do these, and we have a total base draft that we'll have to circle back on at some point uh, when Jim is actually back and ready to work again. <laughs> With so much focus on, on the bats there, it's, it's fun to see two arms going. And I hope we see them pitching through all six weeks. Yeah, we need it just because – Pitching in general tends to be a little rough in the fall league. It's, a hit, it's always hitting friendly, even when there's a good pitching there. So it'll it'll be it'll be very exciting to to see them. I'm really excited to see. I, you know, I guess someone's got to catch these arms, right? So I'm not even looking at rosters. So I, that was just a weak segue. You know, Harry Ford. I'm excited to see him come out to the fall league. He's been a favorite of mine since uh, since the Mariners took him. He had say he had a down year. He had a very good year, I thought in the in in the Northwest League. He finished with an 830 ops, but it was over a thousand in August. You know, for a young catcher still learning to the intricacies of that part of the game. He was at the futures game. He's currently in the Czech Republic playing for Great Britain in the European Championships. Oh, and by the way, five for nine, two homers and nine runs batted in their first three games and Great Britain's three and oh. So he'll come back with the uh tailwind of that over over the fall league. And I think, you know, he was, we did that feature, like one guy we were wishing for in each organization to go to the fall league. And he was my Mariners pick. And I said, like, even if he doesn't play that much, just catching bullpens will be of benefit to him because he's yet to catch anything above a ball pitchers. I think, you know, he'll be, we'll get a mix and, you know, we'll get to see him DH some from that top 100 group. That's the guy who intrigues yeah, sure. me I was just, I was the just, most. Can I kind of go off the board to talk about someone else? Or his year started back at the World Baseball Classic, and he, you know, and even in qualifiers, uh, he stood out. World Baseball Classic, then a full season, and now, as you mentioned, he's playing in the Czech Republic now, and then to Arizona. I mean, it, it feels like any any week of the year that you look, this guy was playing baseball. <laughs> and doing something and, and it's funny you know, even i sort of said that his year was okay not great he, he still had wrc plus of 135 off 103 um, and he's you know played at this is at his age 20 24 so. bases yeah yeah I, i'm I, I think the upside is tremendous here he's uh tim has my catcher for our in-season total base pool which I haven't tallied up yet to find out who won that thing. But yeah, the the one guy who's not on the top 100, I mean, there are a lot of guys I want to see. And listen, every year 
guys not on the top 100 make names for themselves and go on to become stars. You know, maybe we didn't know about them or this is when they Edward Julian for them and they use this as that stepping stone. So just because we're like, oh, yeah, I think that's a great choice, right? Uh, won the batting title. Uh, you know, he hit 400 and drew a ton of walks as he always did and, you know, did the things that he's doing now, you know, so it happens every single year. And that's one of the great things about the Folly is you come now and you see them and then you can tell all your friends you saw players X, Y, and Z and not just the guys in the top 100. So, But the guy that I really want to see is Reggie Crawford. And I think it would be interesting to see him regardless of what he was going to be doing in the Fall League. He is still you know, a two-way guy who came back from Tommy John surgery and showed off ridiculous premium stuff while getting only a handful of at-bats. He's only going to be hitting in the Fall League. Even though he didn't throw that many innings, I think because of the Tommy John surgery, they don't want to overwork him or anything like that. So we're just going to get to see him swing the bat. And then there's tremendous raw power. Barely saw him at all in college, you know, because of the injury, you know, and so like no one really knows what he is on, on either side. To me, he may be the most fascinating player who's going to be in Arizona just because of all the sort of all mystery. Right, so and, Arizona Fall League him. getting underway on October 2nd, Monday. Three games a day, for the most part, typically starting at either 5.30 Eastern Time or 9.30 Eastern Time. Season runs through the second weekend, November, wraps up with the championship game on November 11th. Some other dates to note, uh, Home Run Derby and Fall Stars game will be on Saturday, November 4th and November 5th. Fall Stars game and championship game will be brought to you on MLB Network. And as I mentioned, the uh, really the entire schedule you'll be able to watch these games live streams on mlb.com so keep an eye out for those all right we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to look at the minor league playoffs and we'll answer a question from the mailbag that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast welcome back to the mlb pipeline podcast jonathan mayo sam dykstra i'm jason ratliff minor league baseball playoffs right in the thick of them now all the single a champions have been crowned. Double A is into the final round. Triple A just getting underway. Some champions, we should note Northwest League Vancouver, Blue Jays affiliate in the South Atlantic League, Greenville defeated Hudson Valley, Red Sox affiliate Midwest League, Cedar Rapids over Great Lakes. Cedar Rapids had the highest winning percentage in all of minor league baseball and then dispatched first Peoria in three games and then Great Lakes in Two games, California League champion uh, Modesto, Mariners affiliate. Charleston won the Carolina League. That is a Rays affiliate. Should not be surprised to be hearing Rays affiliates winning minor league championships. And then in the Florida State League, Jupiter defeated Clearwater. It's a Marlins affiliate. We are now into the finals. Double A, Amarillo, Arkansas, D-backs, Mariners, Pensacola, Tennessee, Marlins, Cubs. Erie, Binghamton, Tigers, Mets, and Sam. That's a really intriguing matchup there. Yeah, between Erie and Binghamton. Erie got the win in game one uh, on Monday. That was actually a delayed game because they were supposed to play on Sunday. But it was a 9-6 to six thriller. I mean, the teams were going back and forth. And the reason that I bring up this series in particular isn't just because they played so well against each other in, in game one, but you look at how loaded 
both of these lineups are, particularly on the Rumble Pony side. I know it didn't work out in game one, but they led off with four top 100 prospects, Luis Angel Acuna, Jet Williams, Drew Gilbert, and Kevin Parada before Parada goes off to the AFL. It's, it's a really fascinating group of Mets prospects at that level. You look at Acuna and Gilbert, they were acquired at the trade deadline and deals for Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. You got Jet Williams, who was a first round pick of theirs last year, who has climbed three levels. He was a high school pick. And Kevin Prada, who was another first round pick that they had last year. So two guys who have been in the system at least for a little while, and then two guys who are still fresh faces. It's clearly worked down the stretch. They got here because of their second half performance, not because of the first half. That's how they punched their ticket to the Eastern League postseason. The postseason is all about deepening your lineup. And when you can start, start off a game with four top 100 prospects, that's really special. But then you look on the other side, the Erie Seawolves are no slouches either. I mean, they get Danny Soretti, who was a, a pick of the Tigers last year. But Jace Young, his first full season has been, by all accounts, very successful. I think he was even named Defensive Player of the Year for the Eastern League at second base. So we know him as a hit first type, but he's impressing guys on both sides of the ball, can clearly hit for power. He's been doing that at both high A and double A this year. And now his team is just short of an Eastern League championship. Yeah, um, also in double in A, their Tennessee team, pretty loaded with Cade Horton, Owen Casey, Kevin Alcantara, Matt Shaw, all on that team. And, and it, it's been nice. We've seen quite a bit of really good pitching in this postseason. The teams that are still alive have pitchers that include Cade Horton, Jackson Job. You mentioned the uh, Jack Leiter, been much better down stretch. Yeah, quite a bit of good pitching in the postseason. And then at AAA, we have a couple of the, you know, a few of the most intriguing prospects. We have, first of all, two of our finalists for hitting prospect of the year in Jackson Holiday with Norfolk and Michael Bush with Oklahoma City. And then on the other side of that Oklahoma City matchup is Round Rock with Wyatt Langford, who, I mean, how how crazy is it that we're even talking about Wyatt Langford being in the AAA playoffs? But I think it's crazy that we're not talking more about that just because of all these crazy things that have happened. Guys, Nolan Shanuel up to the big leagues from this draft class, other guys jumping four or five levels you know <laughs> i feel like we we haven't given wyatt langford enough and do for he hasn't for just what he's done in in one summer pro ball it's been he's really dominated impressive. at every level i mean he's now played at four different levels has posted an ops if you it rungs of 1.275 1.097 1.281 and now even at AAA in, in the five games there, 1.064, obviously, small sample size there and, and across the board. But I mean, all told, 44 games following a full college season has slashed 360, 480, 677. So just an, an incredible pro debut there. And you mentioned Holiday, and he's just one part of what has been just an absolutely ridiculous lineup for Norfolk all year, which has included includes Colton Kowser. Kobe Mayo, Joey Ortiz had cursed earlier in the year. That's been that team has just been loaded all year. So a lot of big names in the playoffs here, and some of the best teams in the IL and PCL. Sam, you think maybe a potentially a dream matchup there? Yeah, I mean, I think that the dream matchup would be Norfolk versus Round Rock. To be honest with you, just because getting to see Wyatt Langford end his season in in Vegas, playing for a, a championship when he already played for a national championship. Didn't quite work out for him, but he has experience playing in a, a game with a title on the line already this year. Going up against, again, like what could be a better end to Jackson Holiday's season other than a very, very, very late call to the majors, which I don't think is going to happen. 
but what could be better than him holding up a trophy for the Myers highest level when he's already the number one prospect in baseball. And you talk about just how loaded that Orioles triple a team is in Norfolk. They, even when they send guys up, there's another, another guy just behind them. And I, I do think the rubber's hitting the road. The O's have some decisions they're going to have to make this offseason when Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz aren't going to be able to fit into an infield. You got to do something with them. Uh, I wonder if they're going to trade some of that for pitching this offseason or what. This could be like the final ride for this group. But this is by design. They drafted really well over the years, and they deepened their position player pool to have this good problem. And, and now it's on the doorstep of obviously getting to the postseason at the major league side and potentially winning a title on the AAA side. I think that AAA championship is a dream series no matter what happens on the PCL mm-hmm. side, right? Because right. Oklahoma City is so good. So, that I mean, it'd be great. And that Norfolk team is like you know, Connor Norby. Jeez, Kyle Stowers, he's on that team. He's only 25, and it's completely forgotten in terms of saying what you're saying, like they're going to have to make some decisions. You know, their infield and their outfield are, are both so deep at the big league level. And then in Norfolk, and they've got some talented players yeah, coming from us. behind. So, yes, I think it will be a lot of fun. It reminds me, Jason, not that we shy away from how old oh, we yeah. are, but like, yeah. So a million years ago, I remember covering the Southern League Championship Series in 2005. <laughs> It was the Jacksonville Suns. Sam, I'm not sure you were do you born want to say yet. Where, do you want me to and, tell you where um, it really was in 2005? Uh, <laughs> okay, all right. I do not. But that team, if I can wax nostalgic for a second, I mean, the, to me, that's still the best minor league team I've seen in person. I think what Norfolk has done this year. But that team had Russell Martin, James Loney, Edwin Jackson, Joel Hanrahan, Jonathan Broxton, Chad Billingsley, Tony Abreu made it to the big leagues. The crazy thing is the best prospect at the time was Joel Guzman. And he kind of, he made it to the big leagues, but he didn't do anything all that exciting. Delwyn Young was on that team. Some other guys who made it to the big leagues, but, you know, weren't weren't as well known. Greg Miller was on that team, really talented left-handed prospect. Unfortunately, injury and, and command issues, he never made it up. I mean, it was the, the most stacked team that I've ever seen. And this Norfolk team, I think, comes close like, you know i don't think the pitching matches up but that's the anytime we talk about like, these unbelievably like prospect laden teams i go back to that to that well, team you, you say that that the, uh, was so North good that matt camp who won the up. triple crown in the florida state league back couldn't get promoted to up the fact that for the playoffs Grayson rodriguez was there earlier this year and and dl hall i mean two top 100 prospects and the, the best pitching prospect in baseball at the time and and Grayson rodriguez so yeah was that, there, that yes. team has been a lot of fun all year and on the other end of that series, you have Durham, who's been outstanding and, you know, mentioned earlier, the Rays with another minor league championship from one of their affiliates this year and could potentially add a second, which is, of course, no surprise. Yeah, that Charleston team, I think, has won three straight titles. Like, it's tough to do to repeat at any minor league level, but to do that at single A where there's definite turnover is insane. And Durham keeps doing this, too. I mean, the, some of these guys have been around for a few years and know what this is like, but this is, you know, the Rays have always been about developing a culture of winning and, and getting used to winning at every level. And All right, it, let's answer our question from <laughs> no the more evidence. This one comes from Walid. Uh, at WABB10480 on Twitter slash X. Can we get a few top relief pitching prospects to keep an eye on? Question comes in at a rather opportune time because we just recently finished looking at a bunch of the top relief pitchers in the minors, pitching prospects in the minors from this year as we were settling on our relief pitchers of the year for our prospect team of the year, a first and second teamer. But 
man, as always, I think that's one of the really fun things when we do this. Jonathan, you've been doing this for years. See if you agree with this. That Every year when we go to put these teams together, the relief pitchers are the guys that you're least familiar with. And then you go through some of these numbers and you're just like, oh, my God, look what this guy did. You know, you see some just absolutely ridiculous numbers. Yeah, and we, you know, we put out a prospect team of the week, and we always have a relief pitcher, and it, it's often all over the map. It's rare that you have one guy who's, you know, makes that eight times or whatever, because sometimes it depends on on usage and 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 things like that. So, you know, it is one of those things that you don't really know until you look after the fact. And it, it, you're right, it it is very much video game numbers that you end up coming away with some of these relief pitching prospects. And a lot of them end up pitching in the big leagues. Some of them will close games, you know, but usually it's just some silly number of strikeouts per nine and teeny tiny batting average against and pitching across a a couple of, at least a couple. Yeah. And we got to see a a close look at one of them this week, right? With, with Orion Kirkering getting to the major leagues, that's his fifth level of the season played at four different levels this season with the Phillies and showed up and was touching 99.8 miles an hour with his fastball. But his slider was even better than that Averaged 3000 plus RPMs and made Brett Beatty look foolish. Got some swings and misses with that. I mean, that's always been his bread and butter this season is just throwing that wicked, wicked slider, you know, hearing some comments after the game of, do you call this a sweeper? Because it moves like 18 inches horizontally, which is traditional of a sweeper, but normally sweepers aren't thrown 88 miles an hour. Usually they're much slower than that. So is this a traditional slider? It's, it's tough. We might have to invent a new pitch for Ryan Kirkering, given how hard he throws it and how much he moves. It's called the Kirk. I mean, there it is. It's or, called the Kirk. Ryan's belt. I don't know. We can find something. It does, it, the belt part doesn't Ooh. quite work. <laughs> no, it's all right. But I appreciate you trying to work in the first name, which I mean, Ryan Kirkering is such a great name. But yeah, he. I feel pretty good about him being one of the nominees because I'm not looking at it, but I'm pretty sure we, we do that one future closer for each team. And, and I'm almost 100% positive that he was my Phillies nominee. So I didn't know that it would be next year, but it could maybe be this by next year that he's with that stuff. That you know, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. <laughs> you, you never know. Oh, I, I think he'll, I think he finds his way onto that roster, but whether or not he's given the ball and to, to, to close out a playoff game, we'll have to wait and see, but the stuff is going to play. What must that fastball slider combination. Uh, and he throws strikes with it. You know, sometimes with these guys, you, you never know what role they're going to have because command is an issue, and that is not going to be a problem for him. Zero ERA, pitched nine games, uh, over 10 and a third innings, gave up two hits and one walk and 18 strikeouts. <laughs> get, then, get him out of here. You know, his his numbers him, were uh, not so ridiculous at each level going up, but they were they were ridiculous in, in total <laughs> this season. A 1.51 ERA. 79 strikeouts against just 12 walks over 53 and two-thirds innings. Only 36 hits allowed. Only gave up four home runs. 186 average against. And Jonathan, that was interesting that he's the Phillies' number seven prospect. I would venture to say there have not been too many instances in all the top 30 prospect lists that we've put out over the years where a relief pitcher has ranked in a team's among a team's top seven prospects. That just doesn't yeah. happen. No, and he may be underranked. He's that good. So yeah, I, I think you're you're right. They're often not, and and um, 
lead had a follow-up saying, uh, you know, and we've talked about this before that because these guys end up being kind of important, couldn't we have like a top 10 relief pitchers, some sort of ranking? And, you know, uh, maybe we should continue to, to talk about that in the offseason. We shouldn't only talk about Kirkring, by the way, because there were other guys. Right? Danny Watson was one of the nominees with, uh, with the Yankees. Six foot seven right hander who didn't pitch across five levels. He, you know, he only pitched across two, but he made it to double A in his in his first year of pro ball, first full year of pro ball, I should say. Wait, no, I'm doing the math wrong. He was a 2021 draftee, so second year, but like things really clicked for him. One five eighty RA, eleven point eight strikeouts per nine. He was just absolutely ridiculous in in high A. Fourteen, almost fourteen and a half strikeouts per nine in his time there before he got promoted, but. Again, missed a lot of bats, gave up almost no hits across two levels um, and put himself on a map where this is a guy who could have a chance to impact, you know, maybe the big league bullpen next year for the Yankees. A couple other guys uh, worth mentioning had some crazy K to nine ratios. John McMillan of the Royals, uh, 15.95 strikeouts per nine while posting a 2.10 ERA. Uh, Luke Little, Cubs relief pitching prospect, 14.84 strikeouts per nine. McMillan, a 138 average against, same as uh, Danny Watson. Anthony Maldonado of the Marlins, also with a some minuscule numbers, 140 average against, uh, 0.88 whip, also striking out right around 14 batters per nine uh, ERA well under two. Uh, so yeah, quite a few, uh, quite a few very impressive performances this year. A- anyone else in particular, Sam, uh, possibly from one of your teams that uh, stood out to you? Well, actually, I, I just wanted to highlight Maldonado real quick because, you know, we were talking about Kirkering's slider and how good it is. Maldonado in front of games that he pitched in front of a stack cast, you know, measuring device through his slider 64% of the time this year. And was getting those numbers. This is not just your guy who's coming out of the bullpen throwing 97, 98. Uh, you know, he was averaging with his four seam 93 miles an hour. So he's not exactly throwing hard, but he found that 83, 85 miles an hour, mile an hour slider uh, that just really works for him. And he's leaned into it. I think that's one thing, you know, some teams are doing now with just relief prospects. Hey, if your slider's better, just spam it. Just keep throwing. If they're not touching it, keep, keep it going. I would have loved to have seen him get a chance with Miami. Um, that hasn't happened yet, and he's 25 years old right now. But you got to think the time is coming, and that that's pretty good for a guy who was an 11th round pick four years ago. Yeah, I, I mean that highlights something that you know. I think we see guys in the big leagues who slider hitters to death, like that's right. You know, maybe it's not 65 percent of the time, but like their their guys are carving out roles in big league bullpens by leaning very heavily on that on that breaking ball so it's not like oh it only is going to work in the minors like it'd be interesting to see how that would play if and when he does get that first big league chance 45 grade fastball from Maldonado, 70 grade slider all right well thanks to waleed for that question and thanks to everybody for listening thanks to jim callis for taking the world's longest vacation so we get more sam dykstra Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. See you next week.